Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, hello. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. Right. Any idea why I've started the podcast that way today? (laughs) Wow. I don't know. Is it like some sort of pop culture reference from the 70s that we won't understand because you're considerably older than us. <laughs> I'm not, I wasn't born, well, I was born in the 70s, but right at the end of the 70s. Not that old. It's the 25th anniversary of Oasis, What's the Story, Morning Glory this week, and the first track on What's the Story, Morning Glory is Hello, which starts with that line. So I thought I'd celebrate that by quoting the first line of one of the greatest albums of all time. But this isn't a podcast about music. It's a podcast about football, and on the agenda today, there is loads to get through. That was Narma Korn and Marley Anderson, who are joining me on today's podcast. I'm Jim Salverson. We're going to be talking about England call-ups for three deputants in Gareth Southgate's latest England squad today. But there's also two very notable faces that are absent after indiscretions in Iceland. We're going to be talking about those who have made the cut and those who have not shortly. Yesterday, we saw the Champions League group stages decided. So which of our Premier League teams will be feeling confident going into their first European games of the season? And we need to, of course, crown the traditional group of death as well, because there's always one. Plus, we're going to be talking Sheffield United in Floodlight Focus. And with just four days left of the summer transfer window, we're going to wrap up some of the latest business which includes defensive reinforcements for Spurs and another young English player who could be looking to further his career in Germany. But first, England and Gareth Southgate's England squad. This time, the big talking point is more about who hasn't made the squad than who has made the squad, because Mason Greenwood and Phil Foden, after breaking Covid rules in Iceland, have been left out of this squad. Does that feel like the right call to you, Niall? Uh, It's a difficult one because if you think on the basis of how the two players have performed at the start of the season, let's take Greenwood as the first one instead of Foden. Greenwood hasn't been as good as Dominic Calvert-Lewin, so you could argue that Dominic Calvert-Lewin is a straight swap for Mason Greenwood as one of Gareth Southgate's strikers. If Gareth Southgate came out and said, Listen, I know that they've misbehaved in the last camp, but on the basis of what I've seen since the last camp, these players have come in to replace them because they're performing better. A few people would have held their hands up and said, fair enough, that's probably an accurate you know, way to go. Whereas actually what he's done is he's thrown the two young lads under the bus again. He's made an example of them and... I think it's a little bit hypocritical from Southgate to say that, you know, that's not the way to behave whilst on England duty. He's absolutely right. It's not the way to behave on England duty. But these are two young boys who have made an error. And was it not punishment enough that they were hung out to dry in the press, sent home under a cloud of embarrassment from their debut England call-ups and England caps? Um, Was that not punishment enough for two young lads? Were they not embarrassed enough about the situation? Voice notes were leaked to the media. Instagram messages were supposedly leaked to the media. I mean, is that not a big enough punishment 
for them to think, okay, we've really messed up here. We won't be doing that again. Understand in the context of Southgate wants to make sure that anyone who's coming up into the England squad, because he seems to call up a lot of people who have never made an England camp before. He seems to do it quite regularly. It almost feels like there's one or two in every England squad that he names. It feels like he is making a serious example of these two young players. Now, I hope that he feels that these two young players have got the shoulders to cope with it, because it's quite a statement for the England manager to say, these two lads, I'm leaving them out because of the way they behaved in the last camp. I just wonder if it was Harry Kane or someone influential heading into the Euros, would he do that? Probably not. So he needs to be consistent with it. Second of all, Harry Maguire over the summer got in trouble in Greece. Now, he was found, you know, he was charged by a Greek court and found guilty by a Greek court. Now, we know that that is currently under investigation and therefore the outcome of that case may change. But at this moment in time, Harry Maguire, it's a fact was in the Greek courts for an incident that took place in Mykonos. Now, we don't know what's actually gone on with that, and we probably don't want to go into it. But certainly, that brought a lot of heat onto Harry Maguire and to Manchester United, because he's their captain. He's still getting picked for England. Gareth Southgate's picked him in this squad. He didn't pick him in the last squad because of what was going on at the time. It was only a few days away from uh, the actual naming of the England squad. But this time, he's picked Maguire. So I, I just find it very, very odd how Southgate can sit there with a straight face and say... This is to punish these two young lads who have made a mistake. And yet Harry Maguire's waltzing back into the England setup. Uh, it doesn't make doesn't make much sense to me, to be perfectly honest. So I think Southgate does need to sometimes consider the way that he, he speaks about his players. Um, you know, it is a lesson learned, but I just think it was punishment enough for them to be sent home from their first England call-up. To be honest, if either of those two players have been playing good enough to get into this next England setup. I beg, you know, I, I can see the argument there, but the, the excuse that Southgate has used for me, I, I'm not a fan of it, to be honest. I'm not a fan of it. And I think he's lost a fair few supporters, Gareth Southgate, because of the way that he's handled this situation. I imagine it was probably punishment enough for Phil Foden when he got home to his missus after those videos and messages and whatnot were leaked online. But it has been dredged up again. And I think that's the issue for me, Marley, is that, with international football, you have these breaks and those breaks are the ideal point to kind of draw a close to incidents like this and then you crack on afresh the next time the squad gets together. But what Southgate's done is he's kind of dredged this up as an issue again, which is going to follow this international break, these three games. And he even went out to the press and said he's going to sit down and talk to the players about what it means to wear the shirt. It just feels like he's a bit of a school teacher rather than a football manager at the moment, doesn't it? Uh, you, you could say that. Um, but for me, I think I think he's he's not done anything wrong, Southgate, um, in terms of, like, you you do have to speak to the these kids, basically. They are they are kids. Um, and there's a timely reminder of that their kids came when they started messaging, you know, models on Instagram and getting them back to the team hotel, which is, which is stupid, and they should be punished for it. Um, I don't mm. think sending them home was was uh, enough punishment in terms of like action being taken against them that's what you would expect as a bare minimum um so i think they should be uh, emitted from the from the next squad which is you know was named was named yesterday and i think um southgate's doing doing all right with it um i think perception of him's changed uh, and starting to change a little bit um I think more from a tactical view, and then obviously with this has come up, people are like, oh well, he's rubbish anyway. He's not the man. Blah blah blah. And it just tends to be Man United and Man City fans who are going, oh well, he's punishing our player, so you know, balls to him. We don't want him anyway. He's never been good enough for the England manager. Where did he ever get that job from? Where what club did he did he succeed? That kind of thing. It's all a bit of sour grapes, but I think you know in the next the next um, England squad whenever it is um, after these three games, I think uh, that if they're both playing well enough, uh, Greenwood especially, then they'll both be back in the squad. There's room, you know, there's room for them still. Um, obviously, as you said, Calvert Lewin um, deserves his call up ahead of Greenwood anyway. So, you know, there's there's still chance there for Greenwood to get back in in future. And same with Foden. I think Foden probably would have been in the squad. Ahead of someone like Bakayo Saka, maybe, or, or 
Ainsley Maitland-Niles. What the hell is he doing in the England squad, by the way? <laughs> but the likes of Harvey Barnes and Saka, who have been brought in as replacements for Greenwood and um, Foden, how is it going to be? Because like you say, the chances are, it doesn't matter how well that Barnes and Saka and Calvert-Lewin, to a lesser extent, play in this set of England internationals. For the next set of internationals, Greenwood and Foden are more than likely going to be back in. Which doesn't send a great message to players who are making their debuts, does it? Not really. No, it doesn't. But, you know, like, you know, I can kind of see where Marley's coming from in terms of, you know, to make sure that they don't ever do it again. They'll, You know, it would be, a, no pun intended, a chastising incident for them. I don't know. I, I don't know what sort of message it sends to young lads coming up to the England squad. I mean, does anyone really think that this isn't going to happen again? Like, I don't. I mean, 18-year-old footballers are 18-year-old footballers. And I... Some are cut from different cloths to others. I, I agree with that. But making an example of them and leaving them out of the England squad, I don't think is going to stop the next crop of youngsters in five, six years or whatever if Southgate will steal the manager no. doing something similar. Well, I mean, without getting too political, I think particularly around COVID, the the rule-breaking example that has been set elsewhere is probably going to have more of an influence on England footballers and people in general than what Gareth Southgate says or does. Uh, lastly, on the England thing, Interestingly, Gareth Southgate was talking about Jamie Vardy in his press conference as well. And he said, we know that Jamie is still around and we still communicate a lot. Now, Jamie Vardy was Golden Boot winner last season. He's banging him in this season as well, albeit largely through penalties against Manchester City. But is there room for a Jamie Vardy return in that England squad, Marley? Should he return or is he... Should we be looking ahead to the future for the people who are going to play in the next Euros and the next World Cup, the likes of Calvert-Lewin? Um, I think the decision's been made now, hasn't it, to to move on without him. I think for as long as he's scoring goals, there's always going to be people saying, like, oh, well, you know, if he's still around and we need him, then then uh, he could come back into the squad. And, yeah, he probably could. But, you know, as a as another sort of striker, you would be fuming if a guy who had retired... Uh, who had retired got picked ahead of you in in a squad. Like let's say we got to the end of the season and Calvert Lewin scored 15 goals and he's sort of 50-50 with uh, you know a knee injury and he might not be fully fit. And if he got picked, you know if he got dropped and and Vardy got picked, you know you'd be absolutely fuming. That's that's kind of the thing. So as much as if you were picking the the best four or five strikers in England, Vardy would obviously be one of them. Then um, th- th- then that's one thing, but I mean he's he has retired, so I think it should be time for for other people to to get their chance. And if they're not good enough, then maybe say, well, we should have treated Jamie Vardy better when he was in the England squad. Because how many times do we see strikers having great seasons and playing ten, fifteen minutes at the end of England games because Harry Kane gets picked, and, and possibly rightly so, but. If you're playing, you know, one striker and you've got three twenty-goal season strikers on the bench, the two that are sat on the bench, they're going to get annoyed. Like Danny Ings played ten minutes against, uh, uh, was it Iceland? I think he played ten minutes against, and you know, you, you start thinking, you've got twenty goals on the bench and it's nil-nil going into the ninetieth, you know, well seventieth minute. You need you need someone to come on, and then Ings comes on for ten minutes, and you think, well. It was a hell of a lot of effort just to come all the way to Iceland, and that's kind of the thing where um, the the frustrations come from. And that's I think that's what happened with Vardy. He was travelling. He was being part of the squad. He was the, his style of play isn't exactly the most, you know, uh, a style where he can have a rest every now and again. He's hundred percent, you know, chasing and chasing down defenders, high t- high intensity, that kind of thing. So. To then go away and then not get games at the end of it, like like Vardy did, was probably one of the biggest reasons about his retirement. It's also probably the, one of the biggest reasons why he's still such a threat at, mm. at 33 years old. I think he's he's plays that way because he's had the reduced schedule, and to to call him in out of the blue for England would probably be it'd probably be sort of good on the face of it, but it would be a little bit unfair. And I think maybe the decision to bring him back has been would have been made at the wrong time if if he does uh, if he does ever make an England squad again. It's very different playing a 33-year-old striker when he has been in the squad for the last 4 years and you're going into a major tournament it's a little bit different when he's not been in the squad and you're preparing maybe 12 months away for the next major tournament. Very quickly I want to talk about Champions League 
and the draw before we get into a bit of transfer business because the Champions League draw was made last night. Um, I won't go through all the groups because it would take pretty much the rest of the podcast. But which of the English teams, which of the Premier League teams do you think will be happiest with their draw in the Champions League now? Oh, tough one. Um, probably Chelsea. Look, if you look at the the draw, they got sev- I thought I thought that group looked really tough because they got Sevilla and Rennes and FK Kranzendar, who are probably the whipping boys of that group <laughs> in Group E. But I thought that looked reasonably tough. Yeah, you think so? You don't think Chelsea are good enough to beat Kuban Krasnodar and? I think they'll do that. <laughs> yeah, Rennes are a decent team. I mean, and Stad Rennes. Yeah, re- but Chelsea are better than Rennes, Jim, aren't they? Rennes are rubbish. In reality, in reality, the Premier League teams will go through from these groups. Well, I mean, let's face it: the Premier League teams will finish first or second. It's whether they can finish first. And I think Sevilla is probably quite a tough opposition, isn't it? They are a tough opposition, absolutely. But if you're talking about the top two sides of a group that will go through, you would hedge your bets in Group E. It would be Sevilla and Chelsea, with the other two teams being Kuban, Krasnodar and Rennes. So, I mean, uh, my pick of the English team... I mean, Manchester City would fancy themselves as well in their group, where they've got Porto, Olympiacos and Marseille. But, I mean, mm-hmm. for me, I think I think Chelsea, those other two teams, I think Krasnodar and Rennes are weaker than Olympiacos, Marseille and Porto, just just personally. So, I mean, if you ask me who's got the best group, um, I would say Ferenc Varos, the Hungarian side, who have got Dynamo Kiev, Barcelona and Juventus in their group, which, you know, is an almost dream group for a club who aren't expected to go far in the competition. So they would absolutely have loved that if there was fans allowed in the stadiums, which it doesn't look like there will be. Um, But if you look at the kind of the, the group stages... I mean, Liverpool as well. Uh, um, I think Liverpool, when you look at Liverpool's group in Group D, they've got Ajax, Atalanta and FC Michelin, who only qualified for the tournament yesterday um, in the group stages. I think if you looked at that group, you would say, well, Liverpool look like they'll breeze through that group. But Atalanta are a tough prospect. They really are. They they stuck it to Manchester City last season in the Champions League in their first season in the competition they've got some good players albeit some of them have been poached this summer to other clubs during the transfer window but Ajax we know how good a side they are when they can get it played uh, when they can get the ball on the ground and they can kind of implement their game plan although they've also lost a hefty chunk of their players like Hakim Ziyech van der Beek um, who have all gone from that semi-final side two seasons ago so I think on that basis that I still think Chelsea have got have got the most favourable group. If you ask him who's got the toughest group, I'd probably say Manchester United. Michelin caused Manchester United some issues in the past as well, haven't they? Didn't they manage a draw or even a win in the away leg in the Europas, was it? Was that when Rashford scored his goal, uh, his debut goal against Michelin? Okay. I think he, in the Europa League a few years ago. But they're not a bad side, but I mean... You, could, you stick them in a group with Ajax, Atalanta and Liverpool, they're getting hammered every week, I'm afraid. I'm not going to lie, put it this way, one of their centre-halves has just come on loan to Portsmouth and we're in the League One relegation <laughs> zone. So that tells you everything you need to know about FC Michelin. Which one are we going for as the group of death? There has to be a group of death in any draw of any kind. I'm kind of quite liking the look of Group B. So that's Real Madrid, Shakhtar Donetsk, Inter Milan and Borussia Mönchengladbach in Group B. Is that a good candidate for the group of death, do we think? Yeah, anything with Munch and Gladbach in, you're really struggling. It's a group of death if you've got any struggle pronouncing uh, football <laughs> club names. Real Madrid, Shakhtar Donetsk, <laughs> Internazionale Milano and Borussia Munch and Gladbach. So yeah, it's the gym group of death. Um, anything with Real Madrid and Inter Milan in it, you're going to be looking at thinking, oh, that's a tough draw. I'm actually, I've actually got quite a soft spot for Borussia Munch and Gladbach. They're, they're probably the German team I'd favour over, over any other. So um, yeah, I mean... I think it's. I mean, could you say that with the way that RB Leipzig played last season in the Bundesliga, that Group H, Manchester United's group, along with PSG, who reached the final, and Istanbul Başakşehir, Shahir, who won the Turkish league, could that not arguably be a group of death? Mm-hmm. I mean, Group G looking tough as well. Juventus, Barca, Dinamo Kiev, and Ferenc Varos, but I just don't think Dynamo or Ferenc Varos are, are strong enough. So, I mean, Group Group H or Group B, I think yeah, you've got a point there, Jim, but. I still think United's group, I'm yeah. not sure if you could call it traditional group of death, um, but yeah, it looks it looks good. Depends which Manchester United turn up to how well they're doing that and saying that teams 
should progress in one or two from the Premier League. Maybe actually looking at that Group H, Manchester United could slip up there and there'll be yet more Ole out calls, which we've already seen so far this season. Right, we're going to take a little break. We're going to come back shortly. We're going to talk about transfers because there's a load going on in the transfer market. We're just four days left. The transfer window closes on Monday. Deals for Spurs, for Leicester City and for Chelsea. All to be talked about next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Before we go into the transfers, as it's Friday, I wanted to do a quick review because if you leave us a review, however you listen to this podcast, be it on iTunes or Spotify or however, you can leave your comments, you can let us know what you think, give us a five star, you might get a mention on the podcast. And there's a really nice review that we had in this week, which says, thank you from a happy wife to be. So not only are we providing valuable football content, boys, we're providing some marital, well, I say marital aids. <laughs> That's not the right phrase, is it? Anyway, let me crack on with the review. You're um, taking the, uh, the Dildo Brothers West Ham thing a bit too far, there, Jim. <laughs> so she says, my fi- fiancé listens to this podcast most mornings. I can honestly say our relationship is better for it. You keep him in the know, connected and informed. And that means I can sit back and enjoy the animated updates as he provides them. He's a happier lad when he's tuned into all things football. Heck, maybe I'll start listening one day too. So thank you, sports social team. Oh, what a lovely heartwarming little <laughs> review that was. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. So I thought I'd give really that a nice. mention. If you want to give us a review, then please do so. However you listen to podcasts, let us know what you think. Let us know who you like, who you dislike, as long as it's Marley. And we might give you a read, give you a little mention on the <laughs> show as well. Uh, let's do some transfer gossip, though. And Not gonna... you, Maryland, Mike. <laughs> we're going to start with Spurs, who have made a loan bid for Chelsea's defender, Antonio Rudiger. Now, he's fallen out of favour at Chelsea. They've got a bit of a glut of centre-backs at the club, so it makes sense that a couple are going to leave, or at least one's going to leave. Rumours of Tomori going out on loan as well. But can you see Chelsea wanting to let a player like Rudiger, who I think is still a decent player, go and join one of their main rivals across the city, Marley? Uh, in a word, no. Uh, it's a it's a strange one, this. It's, it's like... It's that old thing of you know why would you strengthen a rival? It's it's silly to do. Like you, they're they're not just league rivals mm. in terms of position. They're you know city rivals in in the uh, in the in the derbies and things like that. So you know they don't exactly have the greatest uh, history together. So I don't see why you would you would loan a player. I don't. I mean you could almost understand it if you were selling him because uh, obviously uh, the the price you settle on you would you'd be happy with as a selling club if you sold him for 25 million for example you'd be happy for the 25 million but at a loan he's, he's coming back at the end of the season where he could have just helped Spurs into third where Chelsea got squashed into fourth or something like that so it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to me I, I don't expect it to uh, to to happen to be honest but yeah, things move quickly in the, in the transfer window so it, it, it could well it could well happen but I could see Rudiger maybe going back to Germany or something like that, but um, I still think he's one of Chelsea's better centre backs. I think he's mm. one. He's probably if you if you're saying Thiago Silva's the best, then I'm probably looking at Rudiger and saying I trust him more than Zuma and possibly Christensen. Um, so I yeah, quite but like it, it probably seems that yeah, I, I don't mind him at all. It, it probably just seems that though, you know, if you've got Rudiger, Christensen, and uh, Tomori sort of for sale for example then more people would want Rudiger because he's mm. the better of the three so maybe they're thinking you know it's similar to Man United with Chris Smalling when they tried to get rid of Smalling and Jones and Roma came in for Smalling and people were saying why aren't we selling uh, Phil Jones because he's worse than Smalling and it's like well you've loaned him so people are looking at the two of them and going <clears throat> we'd rather have Chris Smalling on loan mm. because Jones is rubbish and then that was why he ended up at Roma and is now sort of resurrected his, his career as long as he moves this summer. So it's it's maybe it's a similar situation with Chelsea. Still something to offer in the Premier League, Rudiger has any Nile because he he he's big, he's strong, he's got all the attributes you need. And at the end of the day, it's very difficult to judge a defender when you've had Kepa playing behind you for a season. 
I just, I don't understand this transfer at all. I've said this on the podcast before. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, Rudiger's actually, if you read about him and listen to interviews from his teammates, a massive part of that Chelsea dressing room. He really is. He's not, I wouldn't want to call him the Joker, but he certainly brings a bit of life to the camp. Um, A lot of people saying, you know, he's a funny guy. Um, And I think he's actually one of their better defenders, as you've mentioned before. Now, Chelsea obviously need to sign a centre-back, so do Spurs. But I just wonder whether Silva coming in and Rudiger going out is the best option for Chelsea. I mean, Mm. I was quite surprised when Silva started after just one game kind of bedding in in English football in the cup. And then he played against West Brom. Frank Lampard probably thought, well, it's only West Brom, easy, clean sheet. And then Silver has an absolute stinker and they end up 3-0 down and having to scrape back a 3-3 draw. So this one doesn't make much sense to me. As you say, I still think he's got plenty to offer in the Premier League. I think his issue at Chelsea has been his injury record. He spent a large amount of time on the sidelines. I think when he has played, he's actually been decent. He's only 27. So for a centre-half, that is coming up into the peak years. 27 to 30, I would say, is where you really start to become an imposing defender and and you've probably learnt most of the game by that age. So, yeah, I do think that, that he's got a lot to offer Chelsea still. Um, in terms of Spurs, I also read a report last week, and me and Marley were talking about it because we're, we're not sure whether it's going to happen, but um, Milan Skriniar, who plays over in Serie A, is 25. He's a very, very capable centre-back, um, highly rated international footballer, um, and there's been rumours linking him with a move to Tottenham Hotspur. Now, that would be massive for Spurs if they can pull that off. Arguably, they've offered him a five-year contract on 90 grand a week, and that has supposedly sort of turned Skriniar's head, although he's an Inter Milan player at this moment in time and wants to remain at Inter Milan. But that would be a huge boost for Spurs if they can pick up Skriniar between now and the closure of the window on Monday. That would be absolutely massive for them. I don't think it's going to happen, um, but I'd certainly rather sign Skriniar than Rudiger. I just think it makes more sense. He's your player. He's not mm. on loan from another club. So he, I always find with loan players that they know they've, they've got a bit of a cushion to go back to. If they do if they do badly, it's all right. They're going back to their parent club. So I always find that you want to sign a player on a permanent deal. I think Spurs need a permanent centre-back. I mean, how can Jose expect to finish in the top four, in and around the top four, with a makeshift defence made up of loan players, or any loan players for that matter? Because... If you look at if you look at the way Spurs want to go, I mean, they, what is it? Toby Alderweireld's getting older. Vertonghen's left the club. They're two sort of key centre halves. The last two, three, four, five seasons even under Pochettino and now into Mourinho. I mean, having a solid defence is so key to the way Jose plays football. I mean, it's been the absolute hallmark of his style of play is having an absolutely rock solid defence and a top quality goalkeeper. Mm. He's happy in his goalkeeper in Larice. Um, but he does need to tighten up the back. Now at Manchester United, he didn't get the centre halves that he wanted. He ended up with players like Lindelof and Bailly, who were not his first choice. And I think he's openly admitted that. Now, for Tottenham, uh, will they you know, go along the same lines? I mean, Ruud got on loan. It's probably not the ideal... Well, it's a stopgap. It's not the ideal solution for Tottenham Hotspur. If they can get someone like Skriniar, that really cements their ambition as, OK, we're Tottenham Hotspur now. It will show the respect that Jose was banging on about the other day, saying that Tottenham don't get enough respect. Well, go and sign some big players. They've signed Bale. Go and sign Skriniar and make a statement of intent and show everyone in that top six that you are still there to mean business. Um, I think that would be a better deal for them, but Rudiger wouldn't be a bad option, but I don't think it's the right one. I think there's still some business to be done at Spurs over the next few days, although they will have blown a load of their budget in bringing Gareth Bale to the club, obviously, as well. Leicester City, they've been quite frugal with their finances this year. They're bringing in as long as they can offload, and one of the players that they are looking to offload is Damari Gray, who is available to be available for offers, whatever that means. Final year of his contract at Leicester City. I mean, what does this mean for Leicester City? Because he's been a decent player. He's played a good role for Leicester City through the years, through the last couple of seasons. But have the club kind of moved on to a higher calibre of player now? So it makes sense that they want to move him on and maybe get an upgrade, Marley? Yeah, it looks like that. Um, I think Damari Gray, when he when he first came sort of through the ranks at Leicester, he looked like one of the most promising wingers in the league, and you know, a sort of almost like a, a Sterling two point like um, you know, very very quick, great at dribbling. Didn't quite have the final the final ball, but 
you know, that could be worked on with, with games and with training. Uh, and he just doesn't seem to have kicked on. I don't think he's had enough games uh, being sort of first-choice winger, as as you say. I mean, he's probably missed his time a little bit now with... If you think back to... I think he was there in 2016 uh, when they won the league. It was Mares and Albrighton who were the wingers. And then you look at now when mm. Harvey Barnes has came through and he's he's ahead of him and then all of a sudden he's in the England squad. So you would expect him to, to stay in, the, uh, in that sort of... You know, position ahead of ahead of Gray. You've got Ayosi Perez who's getting picked ahead of him, and then they've just signed Chengiz Under from from Roma as well. And you would expect him to probably get games uh, and impact on Gray's uh, Gray's time. So I think the next move for Gray is important because he he clearly still does have potential, um, and he needs to go on and get games and and become more of a. You know, similar to Raheem Sterling, rather than someone like Jordan Ayabu came through a few years ago, and you know a couple of bad moves and a couple of injuries pretty much halted his career. And now he's he's lounging in the championship. So it it's it's important for Gray. I think um, I think his time seems to be done at Leicester. So I think there's definitely Premier League teams that could offer him uh, proper game time. Um, it's just finding one. In the space of what four days or something like that, I think a loan move would be would be good for him. Show people what he's got. Uh, remind him, remind people what he can uh, what he can do with regular game time and a good coach. So we can see what he does. But I, I certainly think there's still a player in there. 132 appearances he'd made for Leicester City. Only scored 10 goals. So you'd imagine he'd be hoping for a slightly better goal return. But it does feel like his future is going to lie elsewhere. A couple of transfers just to mention very briefly. Fulham, understandably, are trying to strengthen their defence because they leak goals like a colander at the moment. PSV Eindhoven's German defender, Timo Baumgartel. <laughs> is that how you say that name? Ba- Baumgartel? Yeah, something like that. It's just funny listening to you just trying to guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just terrible. I can't, I can hardly speak English. I really struggle with any kind of foreign name. Yeah, I'm like, Smith. I'm like, that surname, that yeah, really tough Smith. one. Smith. Smith. Uh, Barcelona centre back Jean Claire Tubibo ready for a transfer as well. Apparently, I'm, I'd be amazed if Fulham managed to capture him. The knock-on effect there is that if Barcelona can offload him, they'll be in for Eric Garcia at Manchester City. Could speed up that move a little bit. The very last transfer I want to touch on though is Callum Hudson-Odoi who's seeing his options at Chelsea his game time limited a little bit and apparently Bayern Munich are interested in signing the player they tried to sign him last year and that never came off on a permanent deal but it looks like a loan deal could be what sees him move this time could that work out for Callum Hudson-Odoi we've seen it work very well with Sancho in the past getting a little bit of experience over in Germany we've seen it work less well with the likes of Reese Oxford who went from West Ham to um, Mönchengladbach I think um, so is this the kind of move that Hudson-Odoi needs to improve as a player still only 19 plenty of time for the development now Bayern Munich are European champions they're German champions I mean be an awesome move be an absolutely awesome move for Callum Hudson-Odoi just to even go there just for a year and experience what it's like to play regularly because since his call-up to the England senior squad, which he got before he got his Chelsea debut, by the way, under Maurizio Sarri, um, he was he was really looking sharp. I had him on my fantasy team for a fair chunk of last season and he didn't play or he was injured. It didn't really work out for him last season. He had his issues off the field as well from a personal perspective. So it would be a good chance for him to go over to Germany and yeah, really show what he's capable of. And everyone says that in training, he just does some ridiculous things with the ball. And I, I do think that we've not seen by a long stretch of the imagination, the best of Callum Hudson-Odoi yet in a Chelsea shirt or in the Premier League. Easy to forget, he's still only 19. He's not 20 until next month, Callum Hudson-Odoi. He's just been called up to the England under-21 squad, which by the way, is so impressive. I know I'm going off track here, but listen to some of the names in this under-21 squad and how many are regular names that you know of that we've spoken about on the podcast. So Ramsdale, Aarons, Godfrey, Reese James, James Justin, Lamptey, Tanganga, Bellingham, Tom Davis, Eberé Eze, Curtis Jones, Skip, Brewster, Hudson-Odoi, McNeil, Nelson, Nketiah and Sessegnon. I mean, what a great crop of youngsters that mm. is that England have got, all under the age of 21 and knocking around 21-22. Hudson-Odoi is one of those, not even 20 yet. I'm talking about Jude Bellingham, who's uh, you know nipper still. Jaden Sancho um, is only 20 years of age and he's in the seniors. I mean, it's just, it's just an unbelievable 
crop of youngsters that England have got that are playing regular football. Most of these are playing regular football in the Premier League. That wasn't the full squad, I must admit. There were a few championship players in there. But certainly, a large crop of that under-21 England squad is playing regular Premier League football. Now, Callum Hudson-Odoi is a Chelsea first-teamer, but I don't think he's playing regular enough football. But, I mean, how much of a great experience would that be for him to go to the European champions... And the German champions, a massive powerhouse club. I'd say Bayern Munich are a bigger club than Chelsea. Now, come after me on Twitter if you want, but they are. So, I mean, for a year to go there, earn some experience. Yeah, I think it's a brilliant move for him. I really do. I mean, whether it will go ahead or not is another question. A good move for hudson Adoy. Is it a good move for Chelsea? Marley, because we've seen time and time again Chelsea loan out players, but very rarely do we see those players who have been loaned out break through to the first team, with the exception of last season where we saw a load of young faces appearing in the Chelsea team. They seem to have been sidelined this year, though. 28 players on loan last year. I don't know how many of those are actually going to get first team experience at Chelsea in the future, but it does seem, I mean, Man City do it to a certain extent as well. They They kind of hoard young players and then move them on it's kind of a business model for Manchester City are Chelsea trying to do that or are they just trying to find the next talent but yet they never get the opportunity yeah well they've done this for years haven't they yeah Chelsea you know they've their loan players could be you know you could make a side out of their loan players that could probably survive in the Premier League that's how how sort of highly rated they are um you think of like you know Zappa Costa and people like this, who are coming in as sort of like Italian internationals, and I know they've not done well at Chelsea, but they're still like decent players. You know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, I mean it's it's their it's their style. Um, there's nothing stopping them doing it. I just think with with a lot of clubs, there is a route back into the first team, and there doesn't seem to be that much at Chelsea. Because if you think of like. Um, I think of Kennedy at Chelsea. Newcastle had him on loan two or three years ago and he looked absolutely brilliant for us in a six-month loan. Um, and he went back to Chelsea and they said, well, if you want to buy him, he's 30 million quid. And we were like, no, it's not. That's that's too much. Um, we'll leave it. Um, we ended up taking him on loan again the next year. Uh, and he was he was hopeless. But it was one of them where he had such a good season in the Premier League and he went back and he was worth 30 million quid, but he was worth 30 million, but he wasn't worth a, a shot in their first team at all. So he ended up going out on loan again. And it's kind of one of them where you kind of get um, sort of forgotten about a little bit if you if you leave leave the club a little bit. You don't see many coming back into the first team once they've been out on loan. So I think players might be a bit sceptical of, of leaving on loan. But if you think about... Um, Think about Callum Hudson Adoy. I mean, yeah, it'd be a great move to go to Bayern, but in terms of playtime, I don't think he's going to play much more at Bayern than he is at Chelsea. Um, if you look at Bayern's squad in terms of wingers, they've got Sane, Nabry, and Coman, and they're three of the sort of most exciting wingers in the in the in Europe. You can't get much better than them. So, if you're going to come in as a, a fourth choice winger. Well, what are you at Chelsea? You know, Pulisic has a lot of injuries, so there's one. You got Ziyech, who probably plays on the other side. There's there's another, and then you've got uh, what? Who else? Who else is better than Hudson Odoi in in Chelsea's squad as a as a wide forward? I don't I don't really know. So, I think he's going to get more games at Chelsea um, than he thinks. He he's probably got a point in that he wants to play more. There's probably a a, a strong hint of the. The Jaden Sancho um, transfer ringing in his ears and look what I can do if somebody gives me a chance kind of thing. But Bayern Munich is not the club to go and do that, I don't think, at all. So, um, no, no, they're, they're no mugs. Jesus, I mean, go, if maybe go to like, I don't know, like a, a lower, slightly lower German team, like a, a Mönchengladbach, they're in the Champions League, for example, somewhere like that. Uh, we've seen Rabi Matondo go to Schalke. They're they're pretty poor. They've just sat the manager. You know, somewhere where you're going to play every week. If you're going to go on loan, you have to make sure you can play and, and prove that you're a you're a Jaden Sancho rather than a than a than a Kennedy or someone like that. So it's it's a strange one for for Hudson Odoi, but I don't think Bayern Munich's the the place for him. 
jury out still on that potential move then, I guess. I mean, I'd like to congratulate everyone on having a record of mentioning Brissier, Mönchengladbach three times in today's podcast, which is pretty impressive in itself. Um, we're going to take a little break. We're going to come back in a minute and we're going to shift our floodlight focus up to Yorkshire, to Sheffield United. And Niall's going to be speaking to James Shield from the Sheffield Star about everything going on at Bramall Lane and maybe a little bit more transfer news as well. We'll do that next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Twitter at the Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. This is the only daily Premier League podcast you can find. No other podcast focuses on the English top flight seven days a week, every single day of the football season. So if you want to keep bang up to date with the Premier League, make sure you hit that subscribe button however you listen to your podcasts. Right then, it's time for Floodlight Focus and the spotlight is firmly on Bramall Lane when we're about to talk about Sheffield United Football Club. What a journey it's been for the Blades over the last 10 years, really. It's been a roller coaster decade for them. And to talk all about the football club, we've got James Shield, the football writer on Sheffield United for the star. Hi, James. How's it going? Hello there. I'm all good and you now? Yeah, very well, thank you. Thanks, mate. Very well. And uh, do you know what? Sheffield United is a club where I don't think anyone expected them to do as well as they did last season. Maybe not even the Sheffield United fans. Sheffield United, who were tipped to go straight back down by some, really shocked everyone. Yeah, it's it's been a, a lovely story. And to be honest, I think it's one that probably sort of touches the hearts of footballing romantics everywhere, really. Because, you know, when, when Chris Wilder came in in 2016, the club was about to embark on its sixth season in League One. And, you know, money was tight, times were hard, and there was an awful lot of despondency around at Bramall Lane. You know, there's some lovely sort of little subplots to what's been a really sort of heartwarming story, really. It it was a club that's, well, it is a club still that's managed by a a former player and a lifelong supporter of the club that he's he's now in charge of. They're captains, of course, by a a lifelong supporter, uh, Billy Sharp and somebody who, who hails from Sheffield as well. And until very recently, they were they were co-owned by a, a lifelong supporter as well. So they've, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things there that I think can sort of really act as an inspiration for a lot of other football clubs who have possibly fallen on hard times and aren't fulfilling the, uh, the potential that they've got. Yeah, and speaking about that, it kind of leads me to believe that Chris Wilder will be doing everything in his power to turn around this dodgy start that the Blades have had. It's not been a great beginning to the 2020-21 season for Sheffield United. Is there anything you can put that down to at all, James? Is there anything particularly that stands out in those performances so far? I mean, in a sense, I I think there's a number of different factors you can you can throw into it. I mean, listen, I, I think one of the, the most important, and I, and I don't mean this in a cliched sense or sort of, you know, I'm not getting sort of too overly romantic about things, but I do think the lack of a crowd has really hindered Sheffield United. Mm. Uh, You know, it was so many of these players that have been on the journey with Chris Wilder all the way through his time at the football club. You know, Jack O'Connell was uh, was with the club in League One. John Fleck was with the club in League One. Chris Basham was with the club in League One. And, you know, in order to, to perform at the highest level, I think you know they've really got to eke out every last drop of, uh, of 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 sort of ability and and passion and pride that they've got, and certainly uh, having a crowd like that, you know, as, as as passionate as the one at Bramall Lane is, you know, I think that helped them do that last season. Uh, clearly, that's something they're going to have to overcome this year. I do think as well when you when you look at it. I mean, I was away in Scotland with with the club on pre-season and one of the things that really stood out for me was the fact, well, was just how many players they didn't have available. Players self-isolating because of the COVID pandemic, players who were going away on international duty. So their preparation was was really, really hampered as well. And I do think they're a little bit behind the behind the eight ball, in, you know, as, as, as regards that. But... I think the encouraging thing for Sheffield United uh, fans and Sheffield United as a football club as a whole is that sort of trouble and adversity. It's, it's nothing new to Chris Wilder. You know, I mean, he's a manager who's who's had to sort of fight his way up from the bottom, from 
from Alfreton Town to Halifax. He's mm. seen trouble again at Oxford. He's seen it at Northampton. You know, we all know about what happened there, the fact that he got a promotion on the back of it. So it's not a new situation for him to be in. And he's not a manager, I don't think, who will sort of lose his, his focus or lose his touch when, when times are hard. And there's... There's so many of the players in that squad that I touched on who have who have had to fight their way up from the lower mm. rungs of the of the footballing ladder as well. So you know, listen, they know what it takes to fight. They know what it means to scrap, and I'm, I think they've uh, they've got the qualities to to overcome what's been what has been a really difficult start. Yeah, and it's still very early doors, isn't it, James? So you just never know what's going to happen, even in the next few weeks. There's an international break coming up, so a chance to perhaps kind of reset and start again after that's finished. But in terms of the transfer window, only a few days to go, unbelievably already. It looks like it's going to, you know, it's going to be going down to the wire again for some clubs. But what about the Blades? Have they completed their summer business, do you feel? Of course, they've brought in some talented players from the championship in Bogle and Lowe, and then, of course, signing Ampadu on a season-long loan from Chelsea. But do you think... Uh, Chris Wilder's completely finished in the transfer market so far? No, he hasn't. Uh, I think he thought he was nearly finished until the the news broke last week that Jack O'Connell, who's possibly, well, for me, he's he's possibly the most influential player at Bramall Lane. It sounds a bit daft as a defender, but the way that they play with, you know, their take on the 3-5-2 system and the overlapping centre-halves that they employ, Jack O'Connell's one of those. So to lose him's a, a major blow. So, as well as looking for a striker, uh, the fact that they've not scored in their pre- three Premier League games so far, I think it's pretty evident that they need a little bit more firepower mm. at this level. Uh, you know, that was that was the one vacancy that Sheffield United was still looking to fill. Rian Brewster at Liverpool is obviously their preferred target. Uh, but obviously now they're going to have to be looking for another another overlapping centre-half mm. uh, to, to provide cover for O'Connell. And, I think that's going to be really, really difficult. There are some candidates I know they're looking at, but there aren't too many overlapping centre-halves yeah, in, yeah. Uh, in the English Football League or the Premier League, for that matter. I mean, it's a good point. Is it something that you can coach or is there really time to do that now with the poor start? I mean, obviously, someone who is going to be signed, if they are signed, it's going to be with the intention of them to come in and hit the ground running. But in such you know, an unfamiliar style... Is it is it going to be tough for whoever comes in to try and fill those Jack O'Connell-shaped shoes? I think it's going to be really tough. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example just to illustrate how difficult I think it can be, or it will be. Uh, at, the, at the beginning of last season, Sheffield United obviously brought Phil Jagielka back to the club, and he's... He's not played a great mm. deal, but by far and away, you know, Phil is the most experienced and decorated member of that squad. I know he's, uh, I know he's coming towards the end of his career now. He's pushing forty. You won't thank me for reminding anybody of that. But you know, <laughs> knowledge and experience aren't two things that Phil is is short on. And you know, to begin with, he was viewed as 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 cover for that role and you can see that Phil has really struggled to come to terms with it and now he's viewed very much as the sort of the middle center half as it were the one that anchors that back three rather than goes on the overlap and you know Jack O'Connell and Chris Basham they they do it so so well but it's important to remember that they've spent four years working on the choreography almost of this system you know it Mm. didn't happen overnight so it, it is going to be really, really tough. As I say, I think there are some candidates out there and you can whittle those down, I think, by looking at players who can play, certainly in terms of cover for Jack, as a left-back and as a left-sided centre-half. Because it's almost, you know, the role that they will be asked to play is almost a hybrid of those of those, of those those two positions. But it, it will be really, really tough. And, of course, in the Premier League, there's not really chance or time for anybody to uh, to learn on the job. Mm, yeah, certainly. It's a really interesting point you make. I love the term choreography. I think that really nails it down perfectly. I mean, I've never really thought of it like that, but it has been a revelation, certainly last season. Are there any concerns amongst supporters or even within the club, perhaps, about this idea of a second season syndrome? We've seen the poor start. Me and you are both confident that Chris Wilde has got what it takes to pull the club out of trouble. But are there, were there any concerns prior to the season uh, and the season getting going, that there might have been some stumbles along the way this second season. I think they were they were always expecting a, a difficult season, and I think you know speaking to the players and the coaching staff 
over the summer. I think, you know, privately they, they knew that it was always going to be a struggle. I don't think anyone in their heart of hearts, although they said different things publicly, was were particularly expecting them to to improve on the ninth place. And there's reasons for that, not least the, the finances. You know, I mean, Sheffield United, one of the, the disadvantages of their quick rise through the divisions is the fact that, you know, this isn't a club that's sort of been able to build foundations on parachute payments. It's not been a yo-yo club between the Premier League and the Championship. So mm-hmm. they've they've really had to, to grow up very, very quickly. But no, it's interesting. Whenever you put the, the phrase second season syndrome to, to Chris Wilder, you know, he completely dismissed that. He said, he, he you know, survival was the number one target. Uh, and he wanted to, to really help the club establish a foothold at the highest level. And he felt it would take three, four seasons to, to do that. We were speaking to, to John Egan uh, recently as well. And, you know, the phrase second syndrome, sin, second season syndrome, so we came up with him. And, you know, he, his response to that was just, well, I don't know anything about that because I've not researched it and I've got no interest in researching it. So I think that gives you a, a little insight into where their mindset is. James, absolute pleasure to talk to you, mate. Really appreciate your time. Um, where can people find you on social media? I'm on uh, James Shield One. That's on Twitter, Facebook. I'm not too sure how to give you the link to that one, <laughs> and Instagram, uh, James Shield Football. <laughs> Love it. Anyway, James writes for the Star. Loads of stuff covered on the Blades over there. So make sure you go and check them out. Great to speak to you, James. And hopefully we'll catch up again soon throughout the course of the season. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Noel. Nice one, Niall. That is it for Football Social Daily for another day. Don't forget our full preview show is out around one o'clock UK time tomorrow morning. Yeah, tomorrow morning. I should have worked that out of my head. Tomorrow morning, that'll be available. Make sure you click subscribe so you get that. There's a review show on Sunday and then we're back in again on Monday with another Football Social Daily final day of the transfer window. It might just be chocker full of transfer news, that one, because I have a feeling it's going to be a busy final day of this window. There seems to be a few clubs holding on to the last minute to make their moves. But that is it for today. We'll see you next time. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.